0: You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast, with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in! He banked it in! And the game is time! We're going to
1: overtime! Warren lets it fly.
2: Yes! T.J. Warren is
0: no human!
2: Ranger catches, shoots for
0: three. He win it! He hits it! To go. in for three. Good. Got it! O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in! Duarte, 4-3.
1: Boom, baby!
2: Anthony attacks! Hibbert denies him at the rim! Harris Levert, people don't realize how good he really is. Levert, skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket! Jackson turns, fires. Bringing that smoke! It flips it to the big fella, fake shoes, and hits, hits, hits.
1: what is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And my goodness, Fachi, I think me and you could have played zone defense better than the Pacers did yesterday against the Clippers.
2: Oh my God. We, I mean, we did the best job possible at making Nicholas Batum look like the modern day Michael Jordan. I mean, <laughs> it was something. It, it was, it was really bad. Batum got everything he wanted last night. It just seemed like the Pacers just let him do it. But in the end, another L, um, but we did see some positives
1: in the game. Yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about those positives. And uh, welcome back to the rotation. Chris Duarte dropping 24 points on 10 of 14 shooting. I thought he probably played his best overall game that I've seen him play since the beginning of the season. And then, of course, we cannot forget the man who was incredibly efficient, 7 of 9 yesterday with 8 rebounds, 2 assists, you know, the one and only, 2 blocks as well, a plus 17, Goga Batadze.
2: Man, where to start? I mean, I guess I'll go with Duarte cuz you mentioned him first, but yeah, you when you talk about a complete game, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals, I mean, Duarte looked great last night. So, you touched on his plus-minus, plus 9, second best for the Pacers behind only Goga Bataze himself. Man, I have been out here with my pickets on and everything, saying we need Goga. And you know what? It's exactly what we got. Goga finishes the game Leading the Pacers plus 17 in the plus minus in a game that was disgusting to watch. It got close for like 30 seconds before the Pacers just fumbled everything. But Goga was fantastic in that game. I mean, you talked about the 7 of 9 shooting. He looked confident. He got in the game early. I think it was about five minutes into the game, Goga made his first appearance. He's blocking shots. He went one of one from three. I mean, he only had one foul, and he did it all in 25 minutes. This might have been one of Goga's, maybe his most complete game overall. I, I thought he looked fantastic.
1: Yeah, it was pretty interesting to see Carlisle go with Goga and Sabonis to end the game pretty much. They they, they ran that group out there. I believe it was those two with Karis LeVert, Chris Duarte, and at, at times it was O'Shea, at times it was Justin Holiday, but I think it was mostly Justin out there with that group, and it was a very interesting group. They went to this weird zone defense, and, you know, um, I don't know what was going on with that zone. I don't know why they didn't get out of it. But Nicholas Batum, you said it, Fauci, 32 points yesterday. Just a ridiculous – I think that was uh, one of his career highs maybe. I can't remember. It was At the, least
2: in recent memory. Yeah. You know? I mean,
1: against the Pacers, I think he's had two incredible, you know, <laughs> yep. performances. There was one that it was on the Hornets. But, I mean, he was 7-10 from three. And, I mean – Honestly, every three that he took was wide open because the Pacers couldn't get out there. And then when they would rotate, he would get wide open, you know, backdoor cuts. And so, you know, defensively, the Pacers sucked yesterday. 139 points to this Clippers team. Without Paul George and Kawhi. Well, look at the Clippers numbers over the last couple of games. 94 against the Spurs, 89 against the Pelicans, 87 against the Nuggets. They had 106 against the Hawks. But, you know, that's like one of their higher scoring games. The Pacers gave up 40 points in the first half or the first quarter. So it's like the offense was doing okay, but the defense was so bad. And, I, I mean, I guess it's just to be expected when you're starting Dwayne Washington and Kara severt out there on the perimeter um, because that perimeter defense is just atrocious. But, overall, once they started getting back to some of the hedging, it looked better. But, yeah, it just – it was a weird game. I know Lance Stevenson didn't shoot the ball well, but he was – you know, doing a great job facilitating Had five assists. He was a plus six out there when he was on the court. So I just, um, you know, with Brogdon out, with, with Turner out now, and with other injuries to this team, guys have to step up. And the Clippers, a depleted team, right? But, you know, the Pacers, they should have won this game if they had just played a little bit better overall. But the play that stood out to me the most, I had to sweet it out. It felt like they were tanking. Cut the lead to three, ball out of bounds for the Clippers, Tory Craig follows Reggie Jackson. <laughs> O'Shea Bursette watches the whole thing. Reggie Jackson's wide open. O'Shea, like, waits, like, five seconds before he leaves Marcus Morris to try to, to try to even contest the shot. Reggie Jackson's just sitting there in awe that he's got the ball wide open. Goes up and slams it. They go up by five with, like, 20-some seconds left. I just – Could not believe that was the defense the Pacers came out of the timeout and played, flash. It was so embarrassing.
2: Exactly, because that was the pivotal point of like, hey, Pacers going to stop here. Like, they got a shot. And instead, it it was immediately like, why do I keep trying to sell myself that we can win games? You know, it's just, I I don't know why, because you look at it, Pacers, you mentioned offensively, yeah, they did good, 51.5% from the field. 39% 39% from three, but defensively, I mean, it was on another level. I talked about it. No Paul George, no Kawhi, and, and, and nearly, I mean, for the Clippers, I think it was a season high in points. And for the Pacers, the weird part was it was one point shy of a, of a season high offensively scored, and that that's the Charlotte game, which was the first game of the season, or either it, it might have been the Wizards game. Either one, we're talking the first two games of the season, uh, and the Pacers do it without Brogdon, without Turner, But in the end, it means nothing when you give up 139 points.
1: Yeah, so just looking at the record now, the paces are 15-29, and Fachi. If they lose against the Lakers, they will have twice as many losses as they have wins, 45 games into the season. It has been bad this year. It's not been very fun, but on the bright side, you are getting closer to securing a top-five pick in the draft. So I, I think that's the exciting news, but overall, Man, it just—it just is so frustrating to see this team constantly just barf up games at the end. It's just, it just—it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why this team can't close games.
2: Can't close at all. I mean, it's like it's another close game. I know, I know, it ended up being a six-point game, but at one point, like you mentioned, the play that you described, it was—it was a situation where the Pacers get a stop. You know, they're in it. They have a shot there. So once again, can't close out close games. It's—it's it, a shame. The schedule is brutal. <laughs> this was the game on the schedule that it was like the Pacers can win this game. Now, it truthfully, makes no sense that we beat the Jazz. I understand Gobert wasn't in the game, but it's like, look, that made no sense. We could have almost lost like 10, 11 straight games and kept that going. So it, it's ugly right now. I know you mentioned getting close to a top five pick. Man, we're getting real close to a top four pick. I mean, we're getting there. We're um, working our way. Little,
1: Moving Park on up, exactly. insert the Jeffersons theme song here. Yep. But hey, so yeah, so let's just jump right into the the big elephant in the room, and that is Miles Turner. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted this about one o'clock in the afternoon. He said, "Pacer centers, uh, Pacer center Miles Turner is expected to be sidelined beyond the February ten NBA trade deadline." Sources tell ESPN. Teams say he will be re examined in two weeks, but teams interested in trading for Turner will have to do due diligence on injury as they weigh offers. Turner's been central to Indiana's trade talks. And a, number of, and a number of teams have shown interest. The The injury doesn't make a trade impossible, but it certainly could be an obstacle in Pacers getting max value for him at the deadline. Team uh, can always – the team can always wait for the offseason to make a deal too. So, Fachi, when we got this news, we were waiting on a, a report back on what Turner's injury was going to be. But when we got this back, how did you feel?
2: Not good. Not good at all. I mean, look, at that point, I wanted to, you know, tweet at Woz and say, delete it, please. Please, you're hurting his value as we speak. But at this point, terrible timing for the injury. Look, it, it felt like this was going to be the breakup between the Pacers and Miles Turner. Now, with this injury likely stretching past the trade deadline, it complicates things a lot. A couple mm-hmm. of days ago, we heard the Pacers trying to ask for two first round picks for Turner. Then we saw that shrink to a first and a promising player. Now, not completely sure what what that really would bring back in terms of if you ship Turner out, because you don't want to just trade him for just anything. You don't want to do that. So short-term, it's very unfortunate. A, obviously, for for the the human being, Miles uh, himself, you hope that he has a smooth recovery. But for B... This is a Pacers team that you thought might be big sellers at the deadline. Now that might not be the case.
1: Yeah. So we're going to have Will Carroll on here in just a few minutes to give us a little bit of an update on what's all going on and what this injury means and how the Pacers can go about dealing with it and Miles and how he can maybe, you know, heal from this and how long that timeline looks. But um, I think just in terms of what we've been hearing and what we've been, Talking about, it's like, look, the Pacers and Miles Turner are ready to make a change, and Adrian um, in his article that he posted on this entire injury, uh, I thought it was really in- incredibly good wording because sometimes we're uncertain, right, of what's happening, but you know, it uh, it said here that in his article, Miles Turner is expected to be sidelined beyond the February 10 deadline with a stress reaction in his left foot, complicating the franchise's hopes to deal him prior to the offseason, sources told ESPN on Tuesday. So the team still wants to move on from him. Now, how much do they want to move on from him? I'm not sure. And that's why I think he brought up a great point saying, you know, there's a good chance that he is uh, he's retained until the offseason. So I think you know, While right now it, it's kind of annoying at the same time, if Turner's not playing, it'll give you a little bit more of an opportunity to see what some of these young guys can do, like Guglietadze, like I wrote in my article for 8.9 seconds, Isaiah Jackson. And, and maybe if you keep Sabonis in this point and don't trade him, if you don't find a deal you like, then you can see what Sabonis looks like next to these guys for your future. But with that being said, I, I just don't know if um, we should be so afraid of not trading Turner by the deadline, I still think there's a possibility he's move Fudge.
2: So do these. Here's the thing. They're going to reevaluate him in two weeks, okay? So that still leaves about 10 days before the trade deadline. Now, I don't think that he would be back in two weeks. So now you might be looking at potentially another two weeks after that. So maybe Turner misses, say, like, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Obviously, we have a great guest on who's going to cover a lot of this. But I just feel like there's still – I don't think he's going to miss the rest of the season by any means to the point where a team could still trade for miles in hopes of having him fresh and healthy from March on. So plenty of basketball left to play. So at at this point for Turner, I think you got to play it very safely because you don't want that stress reaction to turn into a stress fracture. Yeah. Short, short term. Goga looked good. Goga looked good. And I think that now this is finally that evaluation of Goga that we can get to see if, hey, look, does this make sense moving forward? We've already picked up his option for next year, but we'll get a better sense on if Go can step into a role that's bigger because we've always known he can block shots. But What about offensively? So we'll get to see that.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, based on some of the stuff I saw on Twitter, I know Jeff Stotts is a, a, an injury expert himself. Um, he put out some really interesting comments here on what this could mean. So, I was looking at that, and it said about 20 games, so if you do the math, it looks like, at best, if everything goes right for Turner, he could be back after the All-Star break, which would give him and his new team, if he is dealt, close to 20-some games to try to get acclimated, be able to like play through that injury, see how it feels, and, and maybe just see how he works with his other teammates as they approach the playoffs. So I think there still should be some interest. In, Bob Kravitz from The Athletic, I'm sure you guys are familiar with him and Sham Sharania reporting that uh, the Pacers were looking to rebuild. He talked about how this injury might affect the Pacers' trade deadline plans, and this is what Kravitz had to say on The Athletic. I don't see it changing anything, honestly. The Pacers know the need to make significant changes, especially as they fall closer to the bottom of the league. Turner and Sabonis have played well together, but Turner appears to be a luxury they can't afford, not with so many other needs. And Turner has expressed his unhappiness with his role in Indy. I can't see him being here past February 10th, so Fauci. Bob Kravitz, you know, uh, an insider here, a guy that broke this whole entire rebuild back in December, he still believes that the Pacers are going to move on from him uh, despite what could come back in a couple of weeks. So I think that's interesting to keep an eye on just because So many people are like up in the air about what is going to happen with Miles Turner.
2: It really is. And I don't think that this injury is by any means a death sentence or anything. It's not a torn ACL or anything of that sort. It's just going to be like, Hey, any team that's going to make a move for Turner probably has their eyes set on the playoffs. So, you know, you imagine that it shouldn't scare them off too much, but any, any chance of getting like the multiple first round picks that the Pacers Claim they were interested in, or we, or whatever that report was, that's just not going to happen. Um, but one thing going back to what you mentioned about Woj, I thought his wording was interesting when it said the franchise's hopes to trade him. You know, yeah. Woj is more tapped in than just about anybody in the world as it relates to the NBA. Um, so you got to imagine that he's definitely confirming that the Pacers are actively shopping Turner. So that's something that, you know, we're not going to hear Kevin Pritchard come out and say, yes, we're shopping Miles Turner. But, (laughs) you know, that was definitely very interesting wording to to notice.
1: Yeah. And I think Scott Agnes in his article as well, highlighted a lot of stuff like the Pacers desire to move on from Turner and Turner's desire to be elsewhere. Like this injury is bad news for Turner. So personally, I think while Turner could be a little bit frustrated that he has this injury because it might keep him from being dealt, this means that he's even going to hit rehab even harder. You know what I'm saying? Because he wants to get healthy and prove, hey, this is not going to set me back. I'm ready to go for the playoffs. I mean, that is what his mindset has to be, especially if he's looking for a new home, right? But um, any other thoughts on this before we uh, bring on our guest, watch? One more thought. They said that Turner could
2: rehab away from the team. If hmm. he does rehab away from the team, how do you think that makes Pacer fans or other people feel? Because we know – for instance, Zion is rehabbing away from the team in New Orleans. And, you know, so have some other players and tends to not really work out too great in terms of a, a happy marriage.
1: Yeah. I mean, if they're, I think what they're trying to do is what they try to do with Oladipo and allow him to do what is best for him. Right. So they let Oladipo go to Miami multiple times. Right. Hey, and, yeah. I mean. Hey, you know, <laughs> but hey, you know what? They were trying to cater to the player. And I think that's what they're going to do to Turner. Hey, you know what? We're going to look to trade you. You rehab wherever you want to rehab. Get away from the team, and honestly, I don't think that's a bad thing. If you've seen the body language from Miles Turner, uh, you know, especially that last game in, uh, that we played against the uh, the Suns, there was some body language there too. I just I'm not disappointed. Uh, if Miles Turner is away from this team. In fact, I'm excited a little bit to see what we can get out of Goga and Isaiah Jackson and, and some of these younger guys and see what this lineup would look like with a more modern team. I know everybody's going to look at the game and say, oh, our defense sucks without Turner. But I tell you what, there's a lot more problems in the interior defense. It's a lot of the perimeter defense. Justin Holiday has been atrocious this year. So has Karis LaVert and Dwayne Washington on the perimeter. So, you know, a lot of question marks there, Foch. But you know, we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that. But I want to bring in our guest now. You can find him on Twitter at Injury Expert. Uh, the one and only Will Carroll. He's going to talk to us today. So, Will, I got to ask you, what's the difference between a stress reaction and a stress fracture?
0: Yeah, everybody understands fractures, I hope. You, you, you've you either broken a bone or know someone that's broken a bone. And, and it's one of those things that we get. You know, a bone has a crack. It's either complete where it... it it basically just cut in half or that it's you know we've all tried to break a stick and it doesn't go quite all the way but that stick is still broken. you can see that if, uh, if it were it a bone it would have to heal up. Um, there's a couple ways for things to happen so you know a fracture can happen in a lot of ways it can have too much twist uh, it can have too much blunt force some you know uh, we all think of Joe theisman back in the day getting hit and his leg just snapping or Alex Smith in a more recent one. Uh, Or, or, you know, for Pacers fans, uh, you would immediately think of Paul George, who's having his own elbow issues. Um, So there's a lot of ways for a bone to break. The other way is a stress fracture. We're just doing things over and over, put enough stress that the bone actually breaks. And it's usually not a complete break. You don't see a lot of stress, complete fractures. You don't see any stress open fractures where it comes, you know, uh, breaking out of the skin. It's just, you're doing a little something more than the bone can take. So uh, a lot of, uh, the easiest way to think about this is runners. Uh, You know, runners run and they do that same thing over and over and over and over and they're beating the heck out of their feet. Uh, And either their feet are gonna give or their shoes are gonna give. And Luckily, most of the time it's the shoes. Then let's get into what a stress reaction is. A stress reaction really isn't a thing. It's you know, If you look at an x-ray, if you look at a CT scan, you can pretty clearly, even if you're, you're not a medical doctor like I am, you can easily look at a, an x-ray and say, oh, that bone is broken, or that bone has a chip in it, or that bone has pulled a ligament all the way off. If you get a really advanced one, you can actually see where a stress fracture is starting to happen. Hasn't happened yet. Kind of like, you know, if if you've ever gotten a blister uh, on your foot, on your hand, you start to feel it coming. You can see maybe a spot on your skin, but it's not actually a blister yet. That's sort of what a stress reaction is. Something is happening. Uh, You caught it early, and hopefully you can keep it from progressing. The thing is, what were you doing that caused all that stress. It's it's a great point.
2: I mean, the game of basketball, uh, it could be a very taxing,
0: you know, thing mm-hmm. on
2: on players. Eighty two games in the regular season, plus the playoffs. Hey, you make mm-hmm. a run, it could it could be a hundred games played in the year. Um, but you know, while my last name is Fauci, I am no doctor, no Doctor <laughs> Fauci. So I just want to say that for for big men, they tend to be plagued more by foot injuries. What is yeah. the approximate timetable for a left? Foot
0: stress reaction. Well, there, there's two things we don't know there, and I do want to go back to something you said with the big man in just a second. You know, uh, Jeff Stotts, who does great, great work at In Street Clothes uh, and at RotoWire, says that the average time is 20 games. But I was talking to him earlier, and it's mostly smaller guys. You know, if you're talking about Michael Kidd-Gilchrist or Paul Pierce, two guys that had that, uh, they are certainly not the size uh, of Miles Turner. Um, So the question is, you know, is it running? Is it jumping? Does he have the wrong shoes? Is something just inherently wrong? We do see a lot of foot injuries with big guys. Uh, Again, you know, I'll I'll date myself here and say, you know, Bill Walton uh, is the one I always think of, who was great, one of the best collegiate players and a decent enough pro, but he was held back by his feet. More recent example is Yao Ming, whose career was ended. Uh, by the kind of of midfoot fractures that he just couldn't and finally chose not to come back from. Um, You've got to hope that's not the problem with Miles Turner. Uh, There are two locations these normally happen in the foot, uh, which is either the outside, what's called a Jones fracture, which is in the fifth metatarsal. Uh, Using your hand, it would be the part of the bone underneath the pinky, or the pinky toe on the outside. And we see that a lot in football or soccer, where you know a guy is cutting and comes back to the inside. They're putting a lot of pressure on the outside of the foot. Uh, a lot of times they're playing on artificial turf. Uh, and, and so something's gotta give. And in that case, it's the bone. With midfoot fractures, and this is literally a kind of the upper part over the arch, uh, you see kind of a hump over the the second and third toe, up about halfway up the foot. Uh, That is one of the most complex areas in the body. There's bones, there's cartilage, there's nerves, there's blood vessels, there's ligaments and tendons. And if it gets a little bit out of whack, something bad happens. Uh, Now, back in the early 1800s during the Napoleonic War, uh, a doctor named Jacques Lisfranc uh, actually discovered uh, this type of fracture that was happening in the midfoot, because guys were getting shot and falling out of the the off their horse, but their foot was getting caught in a stirrup, uh, and so the type of fracture that happened there was named after him. Uh, so, Doctor Lisfranc lives on. Uh, two interesting notes. He was a gynecologist that was pulled up into service, and second, his cure was amputation. So, luckily, we've we've made some progress with that. But you know, if it's in the midfoot, that's that's the worst thing it could possibly be for a big man because we've seen just how bad that can be.
1: Yeah, and I, I gotta just ask this because obviously we know the trade deadline is about twenty what a twenty some days away. So it's it's not too far away. I think 23, 24, something like that. Mm-hmm they said it was going to be a you know two week turnaround before they do a reevaluation so i guess if you're a pacer fan and you and you're anticipating that miles might be dealt what what kind of report are you maybe hoping to find out here with this re, with this uh, reevaluation and if you're a team looking to trade for miles turner uh, what are some things you're looking for here knowing that he could be out even if you do acquire him past the deadline
0: there's two things, and one you're going to easily get if you open up discussions and it gets far enough along that they're passing medical. Uh, what you're looking for is the location and, and how much progress it's made. You know, if if they have an X-ray, you know, from yesterday, and an X-ray from two weeks from now, or a CT scan or a bone scan, whatever they do, probably all of the above, you can compare. You can say, "Oh, this is coming along. They've removed this." The why is something the Pacers have and don't have to share? Uh, is it running and jumping? Is it uh, the shoes he's wearing? It could be a million things. Was it one event? Probably nonsense is a stress fracture. Um, and that's the worry. Can you remove that stress? Can you cushion it enough that it doesn't? Uh, or does he have to rest? Is this going to come back? Because you know, if a team trades for him or if he stays with the Pacers, he's still going to have to run and jump. Uh, and, and the three things uh, that you're always looking for in, in the NBA for uh, entry risk is how often, how often do you have to sprint? How often do you have to jump? And how often are you getting knocked to the ground? And those are three things that happen to Miles a lot. So, you know, the idea that this kind of thing isn't gonna happen again, is something that's definitely gonna be front of mind for any team that's uh, even considering trading for him. And if they still are, you know, if, if the progress is good, if they're willing to take on the risk of, of that injury recurring, uh, how much does that drop the price? Uh, you know, uh, are the Pacers going to be willing to just let him move on at, at you know, basically on sale because uh, an injury happened uh, coincidentally? Oh, man,
2: all all things that are uh, not looking great for the Pacers, but you mentioned a few things that are vital for all basketball players. Running, jumping, everything that you could possibly imagine needed to play the game and play it well. Now, the Mm -hmm. Pacers said they're going to reevaluate Turner in two weeks. The term reevaluating, uh, it, it's kind of just um, it's like nails on a chalkboard because the Patriots have been yeah. reevaluating TJ Warren for about a year now. So, what are we looking to see over the next two weeks when they reevaluate him? And what is Turner able to do? Are we talking just rest here, or is he still able
0: to ramp up physically? You know, he'll be able to do some things, but not very much. And honestly, you know, they'll be willing to take on. You know the risk that he's dropping some cardio to make sure that he's off that foot. Look, he'll be in a walking boot. They'll tell him to keep the the foot off, not run, not jump. You can definitely take those things down. Do you want to take it down to an extreme rest where he's basically you know couch ridden? I, I doubt they'll do that much. Um, you know, it's interesting that he got examined in LA. Uh, one of the the top foot surgeons in the world is out in LA um So I don't know if that was coincidental or whether they had been waiting to see him, knowing that uh, that trip to LA was coming up. So it, it's one of those things where you know you do have to wait for it. Uh, you know the reevaluation is simple: take another X-ray. There's not really anything you can do up to that point, unless you're going to get super aggressive and do like an ultrasound on him every day. But that, that's kind of pointless. You know he's not going to be ready in two weeks. What you need to know is. Uh, does what you're doing help? Uh, can he eat? Can he drink? For bones, it's, it's really strange. You know, it used to be they put a bone stimulator on everybody. There was a lot of talk about using uh, some more advanced drugs that would help heal it up. It, it, none of them have worked. You know, it's, it's basically time that heals these things. But on the other hand, bones do heal. Uh, you know, everybody knows little Timmy who fell off his skateboard Nobody thought, oh, God, Timmy broke his arm. He's going to lose it. Uh, They're going to have to amputate that thing. He's never going to be able to work a day in his life. Uh, No, it's a a broken arm or a broken foot. Uh, They tend to come back very quickly. The questions you have to have is first, uh, you know, is he different? Is there something physically wrong that his bones don't heal? No, there's no evidence of that. Uh, He's young. He's strong. He's in good shape, even though he's a big man. And big men do have more foot problems just because, normal humans aren't supposed to be that size. Uh, and, and the other question is, you know, what was the stress beyond that that caused it? And can we reduce, fix? Is he going to have to take days off to make sure this doesn't happen? Uh, is he going to have to have interim rest? There's, there's so many questions that make this difficult to manage. You mentioned TJ Warren. This is the same, not same, but very similar situation and that it can get extended.
1: Yeah, I know. There's definitely a lot to, uh, uh, to to look forward to here with what this could actually be, so I'm just keeping my eyes monitored to that. Um, I did just want to bring up one quick thing, though. Uh, you said there weren't a lot of big men that have dealt with this, but I did just see Jeff Stott's tweet here. He did throw out Tyson Chandler and Thomas Bryant. I'm not sure how many games they missed. They might have been in that 20 games, uh situation as well, but Um, Those are two big men, and I think uh, a big question, too, is we know Turner's had other foot injuries as well. I think that's what caused him to miss the remainder of last year's uh, regular season where he missed like 16, 18 games, something like that. So is that also something that teams should be concerned about?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that was called a bone bruise at the time, but you wonder whether that's associated. Is it in a same or similar location? Obviously, he played in between those. Uh, you know, with Warren, he had to have surgery to fix it back in. They they put pins in there to make sure everything was lined back up. Uh, we don't know whether that's going to have to be the case. Uh, obviously, that doesn't always work. Uh, so uh, there's just so many questions that we can't even do uh, a good job of even speculating on at this stage because there's just not enough information. The thing we do have to rely on here is that the Pacers have a great medical staff. It's one of the best in the NBA. They've dealt with a lot of injuries over the last two years just because eh, bad luck. Uh, But they've done a very good job of getting most of the players back, Warren being uh, the notable exception. Hey,
2: I I hope there's some great news in, in the future for TJ Warren as well as Miles Turner. But, Will, I definitely want to thank you for coming on today. This was some great insight that Alex and I are just unable to provide on our own. So tell everybody where they could find you on social media.
0: Yeah, uh, you can find me at Injury Expert on Twitter. You can follow along if you're also a baseball fan. I have a uh, baseball injury newsletter, which is at UnderTheKnife.substack.com. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm just wandering around Indianapolis most of the time, listening to the Pacers fans moan and groan.
1: <laughs> well, we're right there with them, Will. So. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and we will uh, have to get you back on maybe in two weeks to see what uh, what we've found out from Miles Turner's injury. I'd love in, to. Anyway. I,
0: I always love coming on shows like this, and I'd be happy to come on in the future. The problem is it means somebody's injured.
1: Exactly. Well, it's the Pacers, so that's uh, it's a familiar territory. So uh, thanks again, Will. We will uh, talk to you soon. All right, everybody. We are back for Trade
2: Talk Tuesday. We have some awesome questions coming in from our listeners, so we appreciate you. First question, it came via text, Landry Howe. Uh, do you think if the Pacers end up trading Lavert, that they may look to improve at the wing position instead of simply getting another guard in return? Is it out of the question, to think, that Duarte comes in as a replacement for Lavert in the starting lineup? Do you guys like these ideas?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question that Duarte does get put into that starting lineup. I know that Quinn Buckner has been hammering at home that, you know, Duarte coming off the bench, it allows him to see things a little bit differently. And and I thought Duarte played a great game against the Clippers coming off the bench he looked fine coming off the bench and one of the things I really enjoyed was him shooting the mid-range we didn't talk about it too much but uh, there was a quote and Duarte said that Carlisle calls the mid-range jail um, so I didn't like that I didn't either because honestly like that is an important part of the game like Kevin Durant lives in the mid-range and I get it we want to shoot threes and layups that's a high percentage shot or whatever you want to call it it's an analytic uh, driven league and that's the kind of shots that you're supposed to be taking but Duarte could be this efficient and this smooth from two I'd rather him shoot 10 of 14 from mid-range than shoot one of five from three right so you know I uh, I hope that Carlisle maybe transitions that thought a little bit but also um, I think you got to look at getting another wing I know there's a lot of rumors out there with the Cleveland Cavaliers I know Colin Sexton is a big name that everybody keeps talking about and I had him a, like at 1A and Isaac Okora at 1B but the more I think about it the more I'm in interested in getting Isaac Okoro back for Karis LeVert because Isaac Okoro, good defensive player, he can play the two or the three, and I think that you can play him next to Duarte. Um, now, does he have to start? Uh, maybe you try it out for the rest of the season, but I don't think going forward you have to, you know, pencil him as a, pencil him in as a starter. But I believe he was the fifth overall pick for he the Cavaliers. Was. So if you can steal someone like that from them for Karis LeVert, that's a that's a huge win, Fodje. I don't know how you feel, but that's how I feel about it.
2: Yeah, look, I think the Pacers have to trade Levert almost no matter what. Now, I don't want to trade him for, like, two second-round picks and, and like, uh, you know, a not-good contract. But uh, I feel like especially with the recent Turner injury news that Levert has to be the guy that's traded. You can't walk away from this deadline having not made any moves. If possible, sure, I would love to prioritize point guard. But, like, outside of Colin Sexton, who's not going to play this year, I don't really know what good, good enough point guards are out there to be had. I know they're saying De'Aaron Fox, but if you're going to trade Fox, you're doing a full roster shakeup. Trade for Fox, that is. Um, Look, I'm with you on there. I I am high on Isaac Okoro. Fifth overall pick, it's very intriguing. This guy is still very young. We've known he could defend. I still feel like that's the type of guy that can continue to develop. So Colin Sexton or Okoro, I I feel like I I like what the Cavs could potentially be offering. And I... Fully 110% expect that Duarte can and should step into that starting uh, two-guard spot if and when LaVert leaves.
1: Yeah, I think those are all great points. And, you know, point guard-wise, there's only one name that really sticks out for me that uh, seems to be uh, somewhat available, and that could be Jalen Brunson. But with the way the Mavericks have been playing right now, I don't think they're going to move off of him. Um, but the biggest fear for me with Colin Sexton, Fachi is coming off this injury, he's going to be a free agent. How much are you going to pay this guy? Are you going to be willing to give him a, a significant amount of money? You know, and I mean, he could he could come off that, but do we really want to trade for another guy coming off an injury? I don't think so. So, um, you know, I've soured a little bit on that. I think also for Darren Fox, you know, we'll get into a little bit later with these questions, but We've got to really consider the asking price for De'Aaron Fox. You know, people think, oh, well, we got to throw this, this, and this at him. It's like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case. But uh, let's move on here. Jordan S. from Twitter, he said, if we waited till next year to make a big move for De'Aaron Fox, with Malcolm Brogdon not being available for trade right now, do you think Sacramento would accept a deal centered around Brogdon and maybe draft capital in the offseason?
2: No, I don't. Um, I don't think Sacramento would accept that because they already have Tyrese Halliburton and Davion Mitchell there. Two point guards that they invested in, you know, invested lottery picks in. Uh, so I, I just feel like they're not going to be looking to bring on Brogdon. I think if anything, they would look to start Halliburton, Davion Mitchell. Um, both the point guards, obviously. Brogdon could fit many teams, but I feel like he would have to end up be moving in like a three-team deal if the Kings and Pacers are involved.
1: Yeah, and to be honest with you, I don't want to give up draft capital and Brogdon to get De'Aaron Fox. You know, I would um I would much rather find another way to get Fox here, but Fox makes a lot of money.
2: It's like $32 and, million. Dollars and, and,
1: and Fox has zero three-point shot. Like, it's been really bad, Fox. Like, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, that's when he can develop. Like, no. Like, if if Fox and, and Sabonis are your two guys that you're playing together, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to defend them because they don't spread the floor very well. So I think with De'Aaron Fox... It's, it, it comes down to this. I, I think that if you were to make a move, you would probably have to send Sabonis, but I, uh, I would prefer that they would send back picks as well and you'd be able to attach Jeremy Lamb in that kind of a deal because, honestly, for me, it just does not make a whole lot of sense uh, to trade Brogdon there. So that's, uh, that's a, a, a team that doesn't really need Brogdon, but I think Brogdon could be wanted by a lot of teams. Exactly. Come the offseason. I think there's a lot more out there than what you could get for Fox and you might be able to get some draft capital potentially for this year's draft. But anyway, that's, uh, that's all I have to say on that.
2: No, completely agree for uh, question. Number three, we have uh, from Reddit. Soctopus said, <laughs> is this trade realistic? De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, and a first, which is top five protected for Turner, Lavert, and Lamb. We get a point, uh, we get a true point guard back and a solid forward plus draft consideration while also getting off Lamb's contract and freeing up minutes for Duarte to develop. I feel like I'm underselling our players' value, but I'm trying not to be a homer. This would make our starting five Fox, Brogdon, Holiday, in parentheses, until Warren is healthy, also assuming we're keeping him, Barnes, and Sabonis.
1: Okay, so there's a couple ways we got to look at this. So this question was submitted before the Miles Turner injury, so that will definitely play a big part in it. Um, I think that, you know, the top five pick, uh, or the, the, excuse me, the top five protected pick is out of the question in this deal. Um, I think if you're looking at Fox and Barnes for Turner, Levert, and Lamb, that's probably going to get turned down as well. So I think you probably have to remove Harrison Barnes and take back a contract they would much rather get rid of, whether it's Marvin Bagley. And then you're probably going to have to take out Lamb and include maybe a guy like O'Shea Brissett. Um, that's kind of how I would envision this trade happening. Maybe maybe Justin Holiday. that might be somebody a little bit more enticing to them a little bit. But I think O'Shea, just with his age, makes a lot more sense. You get Fox back, you get Bagley back as a backup center, you know, and then, and then that's kind of how it works. So I think this deal would probably get turned down by the Sacramento Kings. But, you know, if that trade could happen, I'm all for it, Foch.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's octopus. I know you're not trying to be a homer, but this is a trade we would all love. But... Sacramento is not going to do it. So especially now, like you mentioned, given the Turner recent foot uh, issue, there's not going to be uh, any first-round pick attached in there. So all signs point to the Kings valuing Sabonis like far more. Sounds like they're borderline in love with him. Uh, I know people are sending me tweets saying like, well, what would you do? Would, would, you, would you send Sabonis there? But look, it, it appears Fox could be moved. The extent of their offer is probably Fox and Bagley for like – sabonis lamb maybe like craig or justin holiday but i my guess is that fox is not moved at this deadline
1: yeah i think that might be something the pacers could revisit with sacramento in the off season and uh, just keep your eyes on philadelphia still i know the pacers have a lot of interest in ben simmons don't know if he's a perfect fit here but we we just don't know yet Flash. but let's move over to our question number four this comes from craig pop on instagram it's a two-part question so question number one he said what are your three most realistic trade targets
2: I would say the combination of Colin Sexton or Isaac Akoro, And then you're looking at P.J. Washington. And then lastly, throwing like, throwing like a little bonus, like Obi Toppin.
1: <laughs> so I had P.J. Washington, Obi Toppin, and Jalen Brunson at this point. Um, but Jalen Brunson, I think that that whole thing with Dallas is probably off the table. So do I. So, so, so yeah, I would probably have the same three as Fox, which is a little bit crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think there's a way – that I would I would put Isaac Okoro number three in there with Obi Top and PJ Washington. That'd be my uh, my top three realistic trade targets. Now, what are your three draft targets that you've got your eyes on early? If the Pacers stay within the top ten, foch Can't
2: keep my eyes off Ty Ty Washington. I can't. I got you the, hooked, brother. You got me hooked. Having the opportunity to take the best point guard in the draft, I, I think, is is a rare opportunity. I mean, that's how you can turn a team around. Uh, look, Jade Ivy. I mean, obviously, I'm paying attention. I, I think. Half a pacer nation or more really wants him, and then Benedict Matherin, who I mentioned the other day, the wing from Arizona. I mean, this guy is a stud, so I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about him yet. I've seen him uh projected to go to the Pacers in, in a few uh, a few mock drafts, so you know, I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And uh, w- what do you got for your top three?
1: Yeah, so for me, I, I still got Jaden Ivey as my number one. Um, assuming the Pacers don't fall off in the first two picks, I think it's going to be Jabari Smith and Paolo Boncaro. So I think those are the two guys that I would prefer the most. I'm not a Chet Holmgren guy. We've talked about that. Uh, don't really need another center on this team. We need to get away from that. So I think guard or or forward is the way to go. And if you're looking at potential forwards, I think AJ Griffin. He's a guy that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago from Duke, son of Adrian Griffin. He's six foot six, 222 pounds. He is catapulting up the draft boards. He's a guy to keep an eye on. So those are my top two. And then another guy that I'm keeping my eye on, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. He has had some spectacular games, especially in the Big Ten. Um, he's a really talented player, and I think he kind of came out of nowhere. I think people had their... Had them on their radar, but not that high. And now he's looking at like a top five, top six pick. So he's six foot five. So I get that. You know, you've already got Duarte kind of that same build. Jaden Ivey to me is a little bit smaller, six foot four, 200 pounds. So he's got a little bit more muscle on him. But I uh, I definitely like the idea of going after a small forward. And then a bonus one I'll give you is Kendall Brown from Baylor. I'm still pretty intrigued by him. Six foot eight, 205 pounds. Uh, just just kind of like guys that are a little bit bigger on that wing position, Fudge.
2: Absolutely. I mean, any of these guys, if the Pacers can walk out with any of them, would be, you know, an upper echelon talent that they have not been able to pick in the draft in quite some time.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I think it's something to keep an eye on, too. You know, even if we don't trade Turner by this deadline, they could trade him on draft day. And there's a possibility they could get some some pick here back in the lottery too. So, I mean, there's a chance you might be looking at a couple of these guys being Pacers next year if they like them. So that's just something I'm keeping an eye on.
2: Absolutely. So uh, only time will tell. But, hey, we are creeping towards that fourth overall pick, potentially. Maybe even number one. Who knows, eventually, uh, given the new recent uh, lottery odds. But question (laughs) number five, on Reddit, we have Lord Vandal. What are some realistic trade scenarios and players the Pacers should be targeting? Also, do you think a move will happen before the deadline?
1: Okay, so some realistic trade scenarios. I, I came up with a few, and I know that this kind of goes into some other trade ideas that we have uh, later we're going to talk about, but I'll give you one. Um, this is one that I was really intrigued by, but I don't think it's going to happen now, just knowing the Miles Turner injury. But one that I had looked at was one with Memphis, and this was Kyle Anderson, Shake Melton, and Zaire Williams for Miles Turner and Justin Holiday. So, with this being the case, I would say that there's probably uh, a less likely opportunity that we get Zaire Williams, the 10th overall pick in this year's draft. So now you're looking at Kyle Anderson, Shake Melton, and John Conchar for Miles Turner and Justin Holiday. It's not sexy by any stretch of the mean, but Shake Melton is a, is a really good point guard. I think he'd really do a, a nice job here. Kyle Anderson is another glue guy as well. Um, it's not ideal, but it's, you know, I think Memphis might have something to offer the Pacers, um, but you definitely would have to get some type of a protective pick though. If you're, if you're not getting Zaire Williams and just getting John Concher instead.
2: Yeah. I don't think they're going to trade Zaire uh, based off of, you know, that recent run Memphis just had, he was actually playing some quality minutes for them defensively. And I I think they do very much value him. Also, none of us expected when they traded up to pick him. I mean, I thought when he went as like 10th overall, I was stunned by that, but I I think they got a good player over there. He was one of those guys that we talked about. Didn't really get to show as much as we hoped in college, but, you know, could end up being a better pro. Um, You know, I mentioned it before, realistic trade scenarios. I I do think that LeVert could very well go to Cleveland. I really, in my gut, it feels like the Cavs, like this is their best chance since LeBron left to make the playoffs. And I feel like they need a little something extra. So in there, like, I I don't think they're going to give up too much. So it could be – it could end up being like Ricky Rubio in a first-round pick if, if things don't materialize. It could be potentially, you know, one of Colin Sexton and maybe Chetty Osman or or maybe Isaac Okoro's in there. I mean, those are the type of guys that I think I'm looking at. Also, you know, a deal with if Miles' injury is not significant, maybe there's still a deal with Charlotte on the table where you can yeah. get P.J. Washington and, say, maybe Mason Plumley. Um then when you, when you think of if a move will happen, I think a move will happen. I'm leaning towards LaVert. If not, like I think you got to buy out Jeremy Lamb or something. Some, some some move has to happen.
1: Yeah, I think that there's going to be a move for sure. I'm just not sure what that move is going to be. Right? It's uh, it feels like more and more that the Karis LaVert to Cleveland has um has some legs. It's uh, it just keeps getting reported and reported now. We've heard the same thing with Turner and Charlotte for like the last three years, so you never really know. But I could see it happening. I, I think that the Cavaliers are in a good spot right now to want to add somebody. And something that we haven't really brought up, but I think it should be brought up, is the chemistry that Kyrie LeVert has with Cleveland Cavaliers center Jared Allen. Those two guys played together in Brooklyn, made it to the playoffs, and they they played pretty well together under coach Kenny Atkinson before they both got dealt in Steve Nash's first year. So I think that is something to keep an eye on and and why the Cavaliers might be more intrigued by just because they know uh, Jared Allen could be a really nice fit with Karen Silvert.
2: About a year later, who would have thought that Jared Allen was probably the best player in that deal. I mean, Jared Allen has been really good for Cleveland. So shout out to them. They they made the right choice.
1: Yeah, for sure, Fachi. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from, Matt Motram, he said, what would be your ideal trade scenario come the trade deadline? And then what do you think will be the realistic trades that happen? Thanks, guys.
2: Uh, Ideal trade scenario is probably finding a a point guard or or, or grabbing a young player on a first-round pick. Like, I I, I talked about, you know, a guy like if you take a flyer on, Colin Sexton's salary filler could be decent. And then also, look, for Turner – you're not going to get those two first round picks. So maybe you're, you can get a young player and a top 20 pick at that point, hopefully. But as I mentioned, you know, just a couple minutes ago, even if it comes down to Levert being traded for Rubio and a first round pick, I think I'm still in because if you think about it this way, Alex, we can save about $18 million and get a first round pick if we do that deal. And at that point it frees up the money where if TJ Warren's worth it, you could resign him.
1: Yeah, I think the ideal trade scenario would be to move on from Turner, especially knowing that he has this injury right now. Um, I don't know exactly what you're going to get back. One deal that I keep looking at that it could make some sense is Obi Toppin, Nerlens Noel, and a protected pick for Turner. I know there's a lot of people that are sour on Obi Toppin and don't think that's a good enough return for Turner, but if you can get a pick somehow, and I don't know what the protections would be on it, so I don't have that specifically up there, but I think if you could get a protected pick, Obi Toppin, who's not really in the rotation, and then then Nerlens Noel's contract to fill that salary filler for Turner, that can make some sense. Now, I do believe with Turner's injury, the Knicks might try to force Evan Fournier back on our hands. I would hate that idea, Foch, but I could see it happening just because uh, they're doing us a favor, so to say, and taking on the risk of trading for an injured player. So there's a lot that has to be put into play here. But, you know, there could be a surprise team. I think that Minnesota is another team to keep an eye on for Miles Turner. Not exactly sure what they would offer considering – all of this stuff, but I think Torian Prince in a, in a first-round pick, something like that, uh, could be intriguing to a team like Minnesota who really covets Miles Turner.
2: They absolutely do. Minnesota is another team that is really trying to just make a run. They have a shot at the playoffs. I feel like they're going to be making a move to try and strengthen that team. So that's a team that we've heard for a while. I mean, Jay Michael was saying Minnesota had an interest in Turner about a full year ago. Oh, so, yeah. It's know, been it-
1: going on for a while.
2: It goes on. There's those couple teams that they have that serious man crush on Turner. It's only only a matter of time until one of them pounces. But next question on Twitter, we have Jeff Q. Uh, It's a three-part question. So he's got a three-parter. We got part A. Uh, It's for three trade scenarios. Alex, your highest hope.
1: My highest hope. Okay. So uh – I was talking to Spencer Percy on Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw my interaction, but you know Spencer always likes to joke around with Fauci and me about my love for P.J. Washington. And so I uh, I asked him, you know, what would be a realistic trade for Turner? And he threw out the idea of P.J. Washington and James Booknight. If the Pacers can get that return back, especially now, that would be my highest hope. Um, but my expectation, um, do you want me to answer all three of these or just uh, do one at a time?
2: We'll go one at a time.
1: Okay, so that would be my highest hope is to get – um, especially now <laughs> knowing what we know with Turner's situation would be to trade Turner for book night and um, PJ Washington. And then I'm assuming Mason Plumlee would have to be in that deal for salary purposes, but uh, a trade around that would be really in, interesting to me.
2: Oh my God. I'd sign off on that deal right now. To get two lottery picks right there would be great. Two very young players in, in book night, PJ Washington, that, that can help you for, for years to come. So that would be awesome. My highest hope, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a De'Aaron Fox or De'Jounte Murray, and I know neither of them is going to happen. Murray, definitely not. De'Aaron Fox, probably not. Um, so, you know, I I would say my consolation for a high hope is can we get a first and a promising player for Turner and a first and whoever for Levert? Uh, part yeah. B of the question, your expectation of what's going to happen.
1: Okay, so I don't know if you heard this or not, but there's a lot of rumblings about Turner and the Portland Trailblazers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is my expectation. I don't know if you would call this a realistic uh, disappointment, but I think this is more of an expectation. Something along the lines of Nurkic, Larry Nance Jr., in the Sear Little for Miles Turner and Justin Holiday. Um, Obviously, you get Nurkic's expiring contract, so that'll give you some money in free agency. Larry Nance Jr. is someone I think could play some for, but be a nice energy guy off the bench. And Asir Little has been really good for that team. Um, And I know they probably wouldn't want to trade him. So this is like their only big thing they're giving up. Um, If they'd rather give up a first round pick, um, I'd be intrigued by that. But I also don't think they want to give up anything as they are looking to tank and they don't really have a lot of picks. So um, this would be what they'd be offering us as Nasir Little. Obviously, you get off Holiday and Turner's contracts, free up some cap space, and that might give you some room to make some more uneven trades in the offseason. But, uh, you know, this is uh, my expectation right now, just knowing Turner's injury just doesn't feel like there's a great amount of value right now at this moment for him.
2: Yeah, I do think Nazir Little has turned it on. I mean, he was a highly touted, you know, recruit to North Carolina, a guy that didn't have the year that he wanted, kind of fell in the draft to Portland. Been a little bit of a late bloomer. I think he's starting to come around. So, intriguing. Yeah, Nurkic, I don't think he would have a future in Indiana, just, you know, like you mentioned, just for the salary purposes. So, you know, it's not not terrible. It's not great. Um, I would say my expectation is honestly, I don't know why, but I think I'm just selling myself on – Rubio in a first for Lavert, and we just kind of punt the year as to basically saying we're going to save money, we're going to get a pick, and at that point, lavert has been moved. Um, I would love to say my expectation is B.J. Washington and Mason Plumley, but I- I'm leaning towards that Rubio, and Levert, uh, Rubio in a first because Cleveland doesn't have to hinder anything that's going to affect them for making the playoffs this year. Last part of the question.
1: Yeah, so let's get into this last part of the question. So there was some trade stuff going out yesterday, and I said that this is just like a hot crap trade. But Eric Pink has brought it up, and he said that the Mavericks are a favorite for Turner with Dwight Powell and one of Dorian Finney-Smith or Jalen Branson. Like the Pacers traded, Miles Turner for Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith. That is a realistic disappointment. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. That just sounds terrible. Like, the only reason I would even consider that trade remotely is if Jalen Brunson's involved. Um, Dwight Powell, I know that Carlisle loves him. And I know DFS is someone that I actually talked about uh, last year somebody I like. I don't think he's a bad player, but that just seems like a really bad trade to me.
2: Yeah, I, I'm out on that. Jalen Brunson has to be included in any deal with the Mavericks. I, I feel that he's a very talented guard. Is uh, due new contracts that complicates things a bit, but I mean he has really blossomed. That's a guy as a former National Player of the Year in college. I feel like he's gotten better each year. But uh, one of my disappointment trades, at realistic would be two second round picks and and another big for miles turner in my mind is the worst case scenario. That's
1: awful. Why would they do that?
2: I know. I don't know, but how is that
1: realistic?
2: I guess it's not realistic. I would say (laughs) to to me, that's just when I see disappointment, I'd be like, that would absolutely have me be like, wow, this is horrendous. So I would say realistic two second round picks. And we take on a contract of somewhat similar value for a player. That's not an all-star that, you know, is also like, 28 to 30 years old so
1: can i also give you another realistic disappointment what do you got (laughs) nobody's traded (laughs) yeah i mean that's the best way to put it that's the worst that's the worst case scenario is that nobody is traded by the deadline and it's like oh you know you might get that woge bomb at ten in the morning like the pacers have traded tory craig too and it's like to a good team for a second round pick and then and then you're like okay we're getting things started then you're waiting all day long and then it's like three o'clock and it's like Pacers did not find the deal for Karis Levert or Miles Turner. Pacers asking price. Teams could not meet their need. And then you're just going to be sitting here like, all right, we got to watch another 25 games of this crap. Thanks. So yeah. that's to me is the most realistic disappointment. But let's move on. Randy Renault put this question out here on Twitter. He said, What a package of Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney Smith, and Josh Green, and a first round pick from Dallas for Karis Levert and Miles Turner from Indiana be enough for the Pacers and Mavericks to make this trade.
2: This is interesting. Look, I, we got this question before the Turner injury news. So I hated it. <laughs> it, it yeah. I, that, that's what I was saying is basically like Finney Smith, Josh Green, like the, the pick's not going to be good. They owe a pick to, to New York. So it's just like, when are we getting this pick, you know, Turner and Lavert. I feel like those are probably, you know, they could be the best players in the deal. Jalen Brunson, I think has a bright future, but for right now, um, so, look, it, it's it's really tough. I just don't have much interest in Dorian Finney-Smith. At this point, I would love to be able to deal Turner and Levert separately where maybe we can get more assets like first-round picks or younger players. So, you know, Brunson, we talked about it. He's going to need a deal in a weak free agency class. There's a chance Jalen Brunson could get something in that fifteen to $20 million range. So yeah, it, it's complicated. When is that pick coming? I don't really know. Now we're starting to hear that Dallas is kind of withdrawing themselves from the Turner sweepstakes. Don't really think they had the assets to make it happen to begin with, but also the package of, if you're going to go salary-wise, Brunson, Finney-Smith, Josh Green, a first-round pick, they're they're solidly off from the salary that Turner and Levert make to make that deal happen.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what else has to be thrown in there. Like Tim
2: Hardaway Jr. and... Yeah. someone else or like Porzingis. Yeah. yeah like, we okay. don't want Porzingis. I okay. mean,
1: and, and actually I think Porzingis is pretty good, but it's just like, yeah. it doesn't make a yeah. whole lot of sense. Right. Yeah. Um For what this team needs. But, you know, I'm, I'm just curious how much Rick Carlisle really wants to go out and get four of his players from last year's team. Right. Like, does this really seem like a, a great fit for, for Carlisle? There's a lot of question marks with Carlisle. Um, I'll be interested to see what, what happens going forward um with him. You know that's somebody we haven't talked about, but could you see the Pacers trading Rick Carlisle? Focci? I mean, that's something I'm, I'm I'm serious because he doesn't want to sign up for this for this rebuild. Um, Lloyd Pierce is sitting right there in the wing. I think Lloyd Pierce would be a coach that is accepting of a rebuild because he's trying to get Absolutely. him more established. So would it would it surprise you at all if the Pacers were like, you know what, we invested a lot of money in Rick Carlisle, but we're going to trade this, you know? Coach to a team, and if there's a team interested in Rick Carlisle and then get a draft pick back, like a second round pick. I mean, I'm not saying it's realistic, but I mean, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that.
2: I'll tell you one team we're not trading him to, and that's Dallas. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> well, been, no there, duh. <laughs> been there, done that. I know that was the recent team we we're talking about, but like I just feel like Carlisle's ties to Indiana run so deep that there's no way they would do this. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple of years from now. But you know, I, I think they had to have known that. Hey, uh, we're going to try and win, but if it doesn't work, we are going to make some moves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think more realistically, like Carlisle realizes, hey, you know, this team is rebuilding. I don't really want to be here for this as a coach, but I'd like to be in the front office, and I think that'd be a a welcomed addition to the front office. I know Chad Buchanan has been a hot commodity across the league over the last couple of years with interviews for that position. So with Kevin Pritchard being extended, um, if Chad Buchanan were to leave, I could see Rick Carlisle sliding into that position uh, to be in the front office, and then you allow Lloyd Pierce to coach, but um, that's definitely for the off season. We'll get a better uh, example of that. But I mean, um, just uh, I'll tell you something off air that I was told today, but it would uh, it would be interesting to me. But let's move on, Fachi, to our next question.
2: So coming over from Reddit, we have whatever you want saying, Hornets <laughs> fan, wondering whether you would accept James Booknight and Mason Plumley for Miles Turner, and, and whether or not you think the front office would accept that as well.
1: So for me. Um, I would not like this deal too much because I don't believe in Mason Plumlee, uh, with his long-term fit here. And then with James Booknight, like I'm, a, I'm, I like James Booknight. There's no doubt about it. I think he's got game, but I just wonder, like, is he a starting shooting guard in this league? Probably not. How much does he overlap with Chris Duarte? I don't really like Duarte's fit that much with James Booknight either. Um, you know, I'd be more intrigued if we got PJ Washington in the deal. Um, with book night, just because I think Washington provides an area of need. And then you can figure it out with book night, you know, even if you use them as a trade asset later down the line or whatever. But for me, uh, sorry, whatever you want. Um, This is not whatever I want. I want to decline this trade. And I think the front office would decline it as well.
2: Yeah, I, I just, I don't know if this is enough. Look, I was a big book night guy, but I started to sour on him a little bit as the draft was getting closer. And then we saw him slide. I mean, yeah. we saw him at one point, it, it looked like golden state could take him at, at seven. And, you know, that was obviously not the case. Um, I, I feel like there's a team that could offer more um, because I feel like Booker has hasn't shown much this year, but I feel like he could uh, in the future. Um, and look, we already had one Plumley. and uh, given we, uh, it was miles Plumley, I don't know if I want to double dip in the Plumley pool, unless I'm getting PJ Washington back with him. So I feel like we already have Duarte and Levert at the two guard spot. So if if Levert's still there, that's all. That's like burying James Booknight for now. So uh, I think he's going to be a good pro, but I would prefer if it was PJ Washington that we're getting back.
1: Yeah, I think we're both in alignment here. And it's kind of silly how crazy in alignment we are with a lot of this stuff. So um, we just, I think we both just kind of have a feel for what this team needs. And I think, we need some more power forwards and I think we need some more wing players. Guards are not really the answer right now, um, unless it's a point guard. And I don't think book Knight's that, um, the only other point guard that I really would like for this team is, uh, Anthony Simons. And I don't know if he's going to be available at the trade deadline, but that is somebody if the, if the Blazers really do like miles Turner and they're willing to accept this foot injury. I mean, if you could pry away Anthony Simons from Portland, like that would be huge. But, um, Anyway, Fachi, let's move on to our last question of the day. This comes from Ed Lawley. He said, simple question for the pod. If the report from yesterday is accurate with Sacramento, Philly, and the Pacers, um, assuming uh, all three teams would like to make a deal, um, you know what, what would that deal look like? He said, you have to uh, use the assumption based on the article that the Pacers would end up with Simmons or Fox and that they keep Sabona since it says he's not an option. So I didn't see this article. I don't know if you did, Fachi but a three-team deal between Sacramento, Philly, and Indiana where Sabonis is not involved and the Pacers get either Simmons or Fox.
2: I did not see this article either. I don't know if maybe this was a trade that someone like made um, on the Internet. It's definitely well, possible he's, So
1: Ed lives in Philly, so maybe it was a Philly writer that wrote this and we just didn't okay. see it.
2: Definitely possible there because, yeah, I mean, it definitely complicates things given this situation. So here's what I've heard. I've heard that Philly is really not interested in De'Aaron Fox being a focal point of a return for Simmons. In this scenario, I imagine that Ben Simmons is going to the Pacers. So it complicates things if Philly is really not in love with De'Aaron Fox. I just don't know what other pieces would be involved that would entice Philly. Because at this point, look like they're not going to be interested in a center. Like we're not going to trade the Miles Turner. We're not going to trade them bonus. Um yeah. So I-, I think that. You gotta imagine, like Sabonis. Maybe this is like—is this like Sabonis going to Sacramento?
1: Well, Sabonis can't be involved in the trade. That's what uh, was so weird. Oh, okay. So it's just not—it's just not happening. <laughs> well, it has to happen. That's what the, he wants you to give him a, a, your best guess, Flatch. I,
2: I can't. I, I, I honestly can't. I just don't understand why. Why can't Sabonis be in this deal?
1: Because it said he was untouchable. I guess in this reporter, <laughs> he wasn't involved in this deal.
2: I, I can't. Yeah, I'd like to hear what you got.
1: Okay, so I'm coming up with it. Hold on, give me a second here. I'm uh, I'm trying to do some math in my head and play with some things. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a blockbuster. So uh, I'm trying to stall so I can continue working on my magic here. But it's uh I think I think Pacer fans are gonna like it somewhat. Um, I don't know how much the uh, the Sixer fans are gonna like it. They got to get rid of a lot of money here. So um what am i i'm i'm so lost right now yeah to get
2: this to get this yeah. question right on the spot i was like i was not prepared for a three-team deal that could not include Sabonis while miles turner's hurt things are getting complicated
1: yes so i am i'm i'm in the process of doing this so i apologize oh man we got to make some big change this is going to be a huge trade for i hope you're ready for this Let's see what you got okay hold on it's gonna be like a like a like a twelve-person trade, so we're just buckle down, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be a bumpy ride. So, uh, oh man, I don't even—I I don't know. We'll see if people like it for the Pacers. I don't know if they even like it that much, but um, let's see here. I'm sorry, people. This is terrible radio right now, but it's—it's um, it's all going to come together. Don't don't worry. Okay, so here is the deal. Does it work? It is a success. Okay. Oh, the Sacramento Kings are going to get Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Torrey Craig. The 76ers are going to get Tyrese Halliburton, Karis LeVert, Buddy Heal, Miles Turner, and Harrison Barnes. So they're getting five players in this deal, Fauci. The Pacers are getting De'Aaron Fox and Danny Green. All right.
2: So there's a lot of names exchanged. (laughs) De'Aaron Fox and Danny Green are going to the Pacers. Ben Simmons, and who is going to the Kings?
1: Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Torrey Craig are going to the Kings. Okay. And who's going to the Sixers? Harrison Barnes, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Karis Levert, and Tyrese Halliburton. It's interesting.
2: It's interesting. It's not
1: terrible. It's not not terrible, but
2: Philly is giving up a lot in terms of like saying goodbye to Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Danny Green for like a, you know, like a mixed bag of pretty good players. But I
1: think it actually fits better for Philly than most teams actually involved in this because they get Tyrese Halliburton, which is probably who they prefer uh, over De'Aaron Fox. They get Karis LeVert off the bench, who can be a great guard off the bench. They get a great shooter in Buddy Hield, another shooter to go with Seth Curry. Then they get a wing defender in Harrison Barnes to replace Tobias Harris, who's making $36 million for the next three years. And then you got Miles Turner as well as another center that you can have on this team. And For the Kings, you're trading a lot. You're trading pretty much your starting five in this deal besides Rashawn Holmes. So you got like Davion Mitchell, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Torrey Craig, and Rashawn Holmes as your team. So I think they're the team that probably says no in this out of yeah. all the teams. But it did increase their wins by two. It increased the 76ers' wins by two. And it four with the Pacers. But the Pacers would get De'Aaron Fox and Danny Green, which I actually kind of like that move for the Pacers.
2: Yeah, I mean, for the from the Pacers' standpoint – it's great. I mean, you're only giving up Miles Turner and Levert, and you're getting back De'Aaron Fox and uh, and Danny Green. Uh, I think Danny Green is a veteran who, obviously, a really good three-point shooter. He's got championship experience, and you're getting Fox. So for the Pacers, they're on board. For Philly, do you want to really scrape, like, half your roster or, or whatever? Not, like, half the roster, but, like, some big names out there and hope that everything works out? That's up to them. For Sacramento, you know, they're the, someone's got to get the short end of the stick.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm playing with it a little bit more here just to try to change something up, see if this makes more sense. I think this deal might make more sense since I didn't include uh, Tobias Harris. So the, the deal that happens now is the Pacers would still get Fox and Green, 76ers get Halliburton, Levert and Healed, and then the Kings get Craig, Simmons, and Turner. Uh, so Tobias Harris comes out of that deal, and so does Buddy Heald. Not Buddy yeah. Heald, uh, Harrison Barnes.
2: Yeah, Tobias Harris is going to be a hard contract to move right now. Yeah, Um, But uh, all very interesting stuff. I mean, that would be quite the blockbuster deal. I don't remember when we've had a blockbuster deal involving three teams like that in quite some time.
1: Well, we just had a six-team deal uh, in the summer with the Lakers, the Wizards, and all those different Uh, teams and us.
2: Yeah, I feel like those were like two-team deals that like minorly got expanded as time went on.
1: It was way too long, and so was my trade Uh, that I just sent you. So, all right, Fachi. Well, that wraps up today's episode, a pretty lengthy one. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, That was day three of the mailbag as well. So we did answer all the mailbag questions. It just took us over three days to do it. But this is Trade Talk Tuesday and uh, we're going to keep this up as we approach the deadline. So uh, unless something happens in between those days, we'll just keep it on Trade Deadline or Trade Talk Tuesday. And then we will have a special episode for you on February 10th, which is the Trade Deadline. But Fachi, any final words, my man?
2: Man, it's just been a whirlwind of news, and I don't think it's been any positive news for quite some time. So we just keep taking the punches, just rolling with it. You know, L's are stacking up, but you know what? In in a time where I never thought we would have thrown the towel in on the season, there, there's a small light at the end of the tunnel. It's getting smaller. used to be a bit bigger, but at this point, I feel like there's going to be some change. A couple weeks. And I think we're going to be in a have a better sense of the direction of this franchise.
1: Yeah. So I just wanted to let you know that uh, Scott Agnes did update his article um, with uh, the, the Fieldhouse Files, and he got a little quote here from Rick Carlisle, and basically it said there is a very good chance that this could be more of a short term thing than a long term thing. That's the good news. So we will leave on good news, Fachi. And we will ask all of you if you haven't already to give us a five-star rating and review over on Spotify Podcast or Apple Podcasts, whichever one you prefer. Give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us out. But Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media?
2: So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Golden NBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook. At setting the pace. And you can find us on TikTok at setting the pace.
1: And if you are counting down the days to the February 10th trade deadline, say these three words Let's go, Pacers! Let's go, Pacers!